Well, we have a little bit of a different kind of a Sunday this morning. Uh, if you like lots of edits, then you're going to like this service. Uh, there won't be anything for too long of a period of time before we change it up and do something different. If you love routine, brace yourself. <clears throat> so we are doing today uh, what we have made a habit of doing here at Neighborhood Bible Church, and that is generally when we end a study, some kind of a length of study, um, we take time to, to stop and pause. Uh, in, your, in your Psalms, as you read in the Bible, you see the word Salah. What does Salah mean? Anyone know? Stop. Pause. It's the rest. It's the period at the end of a sentence. So you can know when the next idea... That would be a comma. So you can know when the, the, the next idea would come. It's, it's the breath. And that's what we're doing this morning. I want you to consider this reality that it takes reflection... Um, to reflect. So reflection takes reflection. Now this sounds like the sentence version of an Escher painting, um, but bear with me. This actually takes you somewhere. Reflect means two different things. To reflect the God that we know and admire and trust and worship, we must reflect on him and on his ways and on his heart and on his world and on his word. So to mirror back God, to reflect God, it requires that we stop and consider, that we stop and ponder. Reflection takes reflection. We all know this, but we don't mirror God naturally. It takes some effort. So today is an, infra- is an invitation not to attain more knowledge or more instruction, but to actually be attuned with what you already know and are learning. If someone comes to you for advice and you purpose in your heart to be fully present to this person and really actively listening to this person and they are pouring their heart out to you and you are asking clarifying questions and you really get a sense of what this person is going to going through and with that you ponder and you pray and you you offer really sound advice. And that person says, thank you very much, and goes away and doesn't take your advice, and then comes back to you the following week with the exact same problem in the exact same situation that the exact same information would actually lead them out of. How many times do you keep receiving that person and investing that hour-long pour-out-the-heart session before you say, time out? Do something with what I've already given you before asking for more. One of the things that we um, are good at in the Western church generally, in some traditions, are a desire to be accurate in the word, a desire to grow in knowledge, things the scriptures tell us to do. But sometimes we can get into the idea of more and more and more. Remember last week, Jim was talking about the garden, one more piece of fruit. There's lots of fruit. It's that one more. And we want one more instruction, one more knowledge. Consider this, what we do with the knowledge that we have, I think is as important as how much knowledge we have. Let me say it again. What we do with the knowledge that we have is as important as how much knowledge we have. Like a library 
that is locked up tight and keeps adding books to it is a person full of knowledge that never loves. If you never do anything with what God is giving you, why would he entrust more to you? So again, that's what this Sunday is about. I'm not going to be adding to your plate. I want you to stop and reflect and look back on what we've been talking about in 1 Timothy. If you're new with us, by the way, welcome. We've been in a study in a New Testament little letter called 1 Timothy. It's been really rich, really rewarding. We spent about 20 weeks going through this, and it's just been teaching us how to live in the house of God. Look at Philippians 1.9. Last night I kind of prayed this over a couple um, who I was marrying, and this was the last thing that I said to them before going to the vows. This was Paul's prayer for the Philippians. It's my prayer for you. He says this, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Church, isn't that our hope for this body? Isn't this your hope for your life? Love that's abounding more and more, that's in accord with knowledge? Microwave spirituality knows nothing of what we're doing here this morning. Why would you waste your time stopping and lingering? But it takes time, practice, and pondering. It takes reflection. See if you agree with me that a virtue of our age is wit and cleverness. Wit and cleverness seeks to grab your attention and then hold it long enough to keep you swiping to keep you clicking. Wit and cleverness do not require all that much time and effort. The Bible extols a different virtue altogether. It's called wisdom. Look at these Proverbs. Proverbs 3.13, blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. Proverbs 4.5 says this, "Um, grace do me a favor. There's a screen that has three Proverbs on one slide. I misplaced it. It's my fault. You're doing a great job. Can you pull that up if you can find it? Just listen carefully because it may not get there visually. Proverbs 3.13, all about wisdom. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and and, and the one who gets understanding. Proverbs 4.5, get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Proverbs 8, for wisdom is better than than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. You don't need to write those down. Just go read Proverbs. This is all through Proverbs, isn't it? It extols the virtue of wisdom. A local pastor and friend, Jay Kim, writes a chapter in an excellent little book called Before You Lose Your Faith. There's a big rage right now to deconstruct your upbringing, and it's celebrated in movies, it's celebrated online in droves, and instead of deconstructing carefully and separating, maybe there's some bad parts to my Christian upbringing that were man-made and not, not 
all eternal God's word, but little bits and pieces I need to remove from that and grow into my new faith and still hold on to things like the word of God in the church. Instead, most deconstruction stories take a sledgehammer and just smash to pieces anything from their childhood growing up, thinking you've been indoctrinated, you've been believing uh, unsound doctrine, and then they fill this person with a new doctrine. We all build on some kind of teaching. So excellent little book, Before You Lose Your Faith. It's by a host of authors. But J. Kim writes one chapter, and in it he writes this. Listen carefully. There's nothing to look at on the screen, so just listen to this quote carefully. Wisdom isn't quick and easy. It's not a swipe or a push of a button away, but far off and very deep. Wisdom is difficult to find. There are no shortcuts, no abbreviated versions. Nothing could be more diametrically opposed to the way most of us spend our time online. What this morning is, and what an invitation is right here, is an invitation in your week to potentially use this next hour or so in a way you don't think to use it, especially in community, all the rest of your week. I believe that Jay is right, and this is why we model reflection. Consider this, the Bible isn't only worthy of our undivided attention, our systematic study, and note-taking devotion. The Bible is also worthy of strenuous reflection, repeating, and reminding. That's a mouthful. Let me boil it down to an even more simple idea. The Bible is worth learning and remembering. Most weeks, we come in here, Bible's open, notes open, And we are learning. We're walking forward. The Bible is worth learning. That's new information. But the Bible is also worth remembering. That's stopping, turning backward, and going, what am I learning? I just read this rich paragraph about abounding in love, and there's righteous life that comes from Christ. What does that even mean? So the Bible is worth learning, and the Bible is also worth remembering. By the way, I'm so used to iPad. Let me tell you something going on in my mind right now. I am sitting here on paper notes, swiping my notes. This is weird. My iPad's being used for music later on, so I am tripping out up here just a little bit. The gray hair is not an act. I don't dye my hair. It's real. Okay. Grace, I'm probably out of whack, but 2 Timothy 2.7, my last slide in this first section says this. We're in 1 Timothy right now. This is a phenomenal passage. Reflect on what I am saying. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Oh, that's such a good passage, you guys. I just said that wisdom's hard to find. It's difficult. It's strenuous. You got to work for it. And it's right there for the taking. Church this morning, kids, you're about to be dismissed. I haven't forgotten. My kids always lean to me. Did, you, did someone forget? You haven't, you haven't forgotten. We're going to do one more song, then we're going to dismiss you, okay? But this morning is an invitation, church, to lean in, to really, really be present to right here, right now, and to reflect on all that has been said. And... The Lord will give you insight into all this. You know what's great about that? You don't need me. 
I'm here. God provides pastors and shepherds and teachers. But the Spirit of God is illuminating the Word of God directly in your life. There's a direct download right now that's available with God at all times. That's a remarkable thing. So I would invite you, you'll notice your notes this morning are completely blank. There's a bit of a self-guided, self-paced to the morning. You're going to hear some of 1 Timothy read and kind of recapped in three different movements. But as we reflect, maybe what you're reflecting on are specific lessons God taught you through 1 Timothy. There might be chapter and verse to what's going on. But maybe right now you're pondering job that stays here or a new opportunity out of state. When I say read the world, that's what I'm talking about. The activity of God in your life. The activity of God in the world around you. So we're going to let the scriptures inform that. We're going to let some song inform that. After each movement, you're going to be given space to simply reflect. By the way, one more thought before we get to the song, and that's this. Oftentimes we have testimony um, services like this. We'll, we'll bring, call people out and ask people to talk and whatnot. Here's the way this testimony service is going to go. Is this morning you have space to write and reflect. Maybe you have your notes from this last season with you and you can spend some time this morning reflecting on those. Here's the way the testimony service is going to go. We're going to dismiss out of here in just a little bit, out into sort of a light brunch, uh, some food time out there. How about taking your testimony, instead of sharing it with the whole assembly, which sort of weeds out most people who hate public speaking, and instead say, what if I find one other person, and what if you offer yourself to say, hey, any reflections from this morning that you'd like to share? I'd love to hear it. What are you learning? What's God teaching you? So the testimony time won't be in here. It'll be around small round tables. It'll be over a little pastry of some sort. Deal? All right, let me pray and we'll keep singing. God, we celebrate, acknowledge, and anticipate what it means that you are present with us right now. You're always present to us. But God, your word teaches and we've experienced it with our lives that something happens when God's people come together for the explicit purpose of lifting our eyes to you and praising you and having our attention on you. God, um, inhabit our praise right now. God, guard us from distraction. Help us to be really present right here in the moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me just invite you to have your Bible uh, open and ready to 1 Timothy. Again, sort of in three passes, we're just going to look at some, uh, some chunks of Scripture and offer up some ways to reflect on that. Again, this is a bit self-guided, meaning this, that um, as you sense the Holy Spirit, God might be talking to you about something different. I think it's really powerful to be in the community of the saints and in a spirit of worship um, and writing down what you're, what you're sensing and the questions that might be there or the answers that might be there. But I'm going to start, Andres is going to take a second pass with a different lens on 1 Timothy, and then Matt will wrap it up with a, with a third one. So if you're a note taker and you want to write this down, um, this first one has to do with our title for the series, which is Dwell Well in the House of God. Dwell Well in the House of God. I want to just remind you why this made the cover for the whole series Right in the very center of the letter is a central idea. 
And the central idea is this. I'm just going to let the scriptures speak for itself. 1 Timothy 3.14. Paul writes this, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So this central word picture that the church is a family of God, that we are the household of God, and that we actually can know how to behave. Just like parents leaving for the night and giving explicit instructions as to what is supposed to happen when they're gone. As the parents go away and leave specific instructions, the parents are coming back again. And judgment will come. The day of reckoning will happen. Isn't that true of the church? We've been left very specific instructions. Our king has gone away. He has promised he's coming again. Church, here's, here's the question to me all the time. Will he find us faithful to what he's told us to do as a servant? Will the household be in order the way that he is instructed for it to be? Does the Bible tell us everything? No. The Bible tells us very specific instructions on some things and leaves other things wide open. But even on the wide open parts, there are fences, aren't there? There's boundaries that say thus far and no more, thus far and no more. After that, man, that's a giant green field. Go play, build, create, work, do stuff. So let me give you two chunks of scripture. Uh, turn to 1 Timothy uh, 3. We'll, 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 we'll kind of read a chunk of scripture here. And one of the very specifics of how to behave in the household of God is that God tells us the kinds of leaders we are to follow and the kinds of leaders we should not tolerate. Listen for how the home life informs your church life and how church life informs your home life. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 13 say this, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, honorable, I mean hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also first be tested. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well, 
For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Jesus Christ. A final passage of Scripture that I want to read before my time is done is this. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 to 8. And here's sort of the lens I'm thinking through with the household of God. Remember that one size does not fit all. That we haven't really cared for someone fully, completely, unless we are careful with our interactions. Older, younger, male, female. What's it like to have an intimate relationship with a wife and reserve that only for that person and, and not for others? All these different relationships come into play. So 1 Timothy 5.1, how are we supposed to live in the household of God? Here it goes, verse 1. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Band, if you'd come up right now and begin playing music, that would be great. They're here. <laughs> My goodness. Here's the reflection. Is it well? Is it well? We're going to bring the lights down. We're going to give you a little sanctuary space. I'm praying that you meet with God here alone on this. I have a few sort of follow-up prompts. Am I living and loving out of truth, out of this sound doctrine? And more than that, am I growing up in this? Am I learning from and following leaders who are led by God, or am I tolerating something else? Am I proudly going it alone and not submitting myself to anyone else's leadership and instruction? And do my closest relationships and interactions with others testify that I trust God's way of living or something different? So church, just use this time of instrumental music to reflect and ponder these things. welcoming everyone and passing out bulletins. Even this morning, I saw you out there welcoming everyone. Thank you. Jamie, thank you for being a servant in so many ways as well. You provide superb pastoral and finance support. But you did so much more than that. I knew I could always count on you to quickly print a coloring page for the classroom or putting together the whole church um, worship music. So thank you for putting together that songbooks. 
No matter how many complexities you come across, you always come through and just get the task done. Jamie, as a personal friend, I'm going to miss going on walks with you and getting your guidance and advice. You have always shared encouraging Bible verses and remind me of what the Bible says. Also, I and my family are going to miss the ride services you provide to us at crazy hours, early morning or late at night, in cities far away and close by. So thank you. Now God has opened the doors for you to move to Texas. May you keep on being lights for Christ in your new town. I hope you find a Bible-believing church and get involved. Although you may be geographically far away, I'm glad that technology will allow us to keep connected. You will really be missed here and know that you are always welcome back. We have a card for you and a little gift. Grias, before they go down, would you just pray over them? Thanks, bro. Yeah, come on up. Use your booming voice. Or the mic. <laughs> uh, pray with us. Father, we, uh, we come before you and we celebrate this incredible uh, Disneyland-loving and, more importantly, God-fearing, God-loving family, Lord, uh, from all they've done. Uh, for Family Bible and for NBC, Lord, it's just so clear how your hand has been with them um, in service and in love um, and how you've blessed them and their children. Uh, and Lord, we know that that will continue, uh, whether they are in California or in Texas uh, or wherever you'd have them, Father. So we pray for your blessing over them. Uh, they go out with our love uh, and more importantly, with your love and your blessing. May you watch over them, help them to know just how much uh, we've appreciated them and how much we love them and how much you love them. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you. Well, let me make a quick introduction of what we're going to do right now. Is um, Remember that Paul wrote this letter to Timothy um, just to give him some directions on what to do, um, but also for the church to know what to do in the family of God, in the household of God. And we are going to reflect in a couple of things that Paul mentions in the beginning and at the end. And he reminds us that it's all about God, that he's going to say a few things, but he's remembering, he's putting himself first, remembering the state that he was before uh, serving in God's purpose. And then uh, he's going to encourage Timothy on the reason why he should uh, do the good fight. So we're going to read the first passage uh, that is in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Those microphones. <laughs> Hello. Yes, perfect. Perfect. <laughs> okay. First Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 through 17. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but of mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me 
with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. God has been so good to us, to each one of us. I know this is a letter uh, written to Timothy, but this is a reminder for us as well. We are his disciples. We're Christians. And everything starts with God. Um, Every single purpose that we have in our lives is due because of the immense grace that he had with us. Think about this. When we were the worst, meaning the furthest away from God, is when he reached out to us and he started working in our lives and he called us. And there is nothing, I want to say, gooder, (laughs) nothing better, nothing gooder (laughs) than God did than our salvation. There is, I mean, sometimes we consider God to be good because he helped us in a problem, in a circumstance, in a difficult relationship. But there is nothing better that he could have done than our salvations. And that's what Paul reminds Timothy. He says, when I was the worst, his grace was so big that he came to me and he came to each one of us and he reached out and he did something amazing in our lives. And because of that, now we have a new relationship with God. But things are going to be difficult while we're here on earth. And especially when we continue to um, fellowship around the house of God. I mean, there is going to be some instances, and then uh, Paul reminds Timothy in his letter that there are some things that need to be corrected because they're wrong, but that we need to give the good fight, um, that we need to be intentional in fixing these issues and fellowshipping with each other and continue to put, because our own self want to do something different we only want what is best for us but here is no longer the case is what is best for all of us and to able to accomplish God purposes in our lives and through our lives and that's why at the end he reminds Timothy with the next uh, uh, scripture first Timothy chapter 6 verses 11 through 16. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach, 
until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Amen. Family, let's keep fighting the good fight. Don't give up. Continue to trust in God no matter what. No matter the challenges that you have ahead. No matter the difficult situations. No matter if you're moving out of state. Continue to trust Him in everything. Because we have a great reward that awaits for us in heaven. And it's Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul is telling Timothy and telling us. That one day we'll be in front of our Lord and Savior. And then every uh, tear will go away and it will be complete joy. And then we're going to look back at what we did while we were here on earth. And then we're going to say, yes, I've been able to fight the good fight. So let's continue to walk. And in this time, we're going to just have a little bit of reflection time so you can think on how you are in, at this moment, in this precise moment, in this fight in your own life. So let's take a moment to reflect on it. So New York Times authors dream of seeing their books on the New York Times bestsellers list, right? This is kind of the peak if uh, you're an author to see your book on that list. It's been uh, coming out weekly since 1931. Uh, but has you, have you known that it's evolved over time? That list has evolved. One of the biggest changes came in 1984 when they had to divide the nonfiction category out because self-help and advice books were just dominating the list. Like, if you had a biography, good luck, because diet, finance, career books were just going to, like, blow you out of the water. And I actually read a lot of these kind of books, and I listen to a lot of this kind of podcast. How many of you guys listen to a lot of advice in uh, books, self-help books, or read them, listen to them, podcasts? Some of us. Am I the only one? Okay, thank you. Um, and how many of you tend to do a lot of reading but not a lot of applying? Like, how many of you read a lot of like, great things but struggle to apply it? Okay, I, I glad, I'm glad to be known and with my people. Um, Christians, we used to be known as people of the book. That was our reputation in the world. We are people who are so dedicated to God's word, to scripture, that we were known as people of the book. Uh, but today, that's not necessarily true anymore. In fact, biblically illiterate uh, Christians, church-going Christians, are biblically illiterate. We, as a people, don't really know our Bibles. And when the world looks at us and they see when we tout what we do believe, they look at us and they say, you're not even living it out. Like, that's a reputation. Our reputation is as, as hypocrites, people who don't know the truth of God's word. And if we do know it and are communicating it, we're definitely not living it out. What a tragic witness to the world, that we would be people of, of ignorance, people who are hypocrites. Um, our lack of living the truth is hurting out our witness, it's harming our churches, and it's stealing our joy. So Paul, in First Timothy, he urges Timothy to train in godliness. Paul knows that it's not enough to know the right thing. We have to live the right things. We have to live God's truth. 
We have to strive to live a life that aligns with the truth of Scripture. And we do this not to earn salvation, right? Like, Scripture is really clear that salvation is a gift from God alone. We don't earn it. But we live a godly life. We try to live a godly life in alignment with the truth as a thank you to God. It's an act of worship. It's a witness to the world. It's uh, to serve our church. It's to enjoy our life with God. And we do this by the power of the Holy Spirit, just like our salvation is a gift from God our ability to live God's truth out in the world is a gift from the Holy Spirit. God also gives us each other, a community, in order to do this in. Uh, so we are a church that really believes in the power of community, right? We have community groups um, where we get to take what we hear and receive on Sunday mornings, and we get to apply it. We get to wrestle with it and discuss and, and talk about what does this look like in our actual lives. And it's not just the act of looking to apply, but it's actually being known by other people who have the opportunity to look at us and say, hey, are you struggling in this area? Or maybe it's for you to call out and say, hey, I need some help in this area. I'm struggling with how to live this out rightly. So my invitation to you would be uh, to get involved in the community group. Get involved with other Christians who can pour into you and encourage you and equip you. Uh, I have some exciting news this morning. Uh, Next month, right after Easter, uh, we are going to start a women's community group. When I say we, I don't mean me. Um, uh, Catherine Scott is going to lead it. Uh, My wife uh, is hosting it at our home while I'm here at youth group. So that's going to meet on Tuesday nights uh, at 7 o'clock beginning after Easter. So if you're a woman who's looking for a women's community group, we have that option. You can go to our website, and there's community groups um, all across uh, kind of the South Bay area meeting on different nights, opportunities for you to be involved uh, and surrounded by people who are going to encourage you and grow in your relationship with God to live out the truth. I'm going to invite up my friend Jen, um, who's going to read a scripture passage for us. But as she does, I was thinking about, like, this list of best-selling authors. And I was realizing that, you know, sometimes Christians hit that list, right? And too often, those Christians end up on another list of fallen pastors, uh, people who knew the right things, but they weren't living it out, and it disqualified them from ministry. But one of the things that I know and that encourages me is that there is a long list of Christians who are faithfully striving to be people of the truth, to live out right doctrine. So as Jen reads from 1 Timothy, I want to invite you to ask yourself, uh, can you include your name on that list of people who are living in truth? Jen, will you read? Have nothing to do with the irrelevant silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is the value in every way as it holds the promise for the present life and also the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For, this, uh, for, for to this end, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the savior of all people, especially those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Thanks, Jen. So I'm going to invite you guys to uh, reflect um, for a little bit on are you living out the truth? When people look at you, is your life unmistakably centered around the truth of God's word?